Now, could you turn, please, to chapter 15, Romans chapter 15. And I think we're all feeling the challenge of the ministry we've had today and uh, over the last couple of days. And I'd like to read, not, not the whole chapter, but part of the chapter. The first seven verses really are just a, a summary, a conclusion of what our brother's been bringing before us, uh, ending in verse 7, Receive one another as Christ also received us to the glory of God. And then we're going to continue now from verse 8 down to the end of the chapter. <clears throat> now, I have a number of commentaries, as I'm sure most people have on Romans. And I, I, made a, I made a practice of checking them all. I, I, I pulled them all off the shelf and looked at this passage. And without exception, every one of them told me that really the epistle to the Romans in substance ended at verse 7, or maybe verse 13. And the impression was that what was left after that was just a kind of tidying up. It was about travel plans and about gifts and so on, and, and greetings and prayer requests, and then a list of people in 16. And really, um, if you didn't know any better, you might think, well, what's the point of me reading on? I just may as well finish my study now because if it's just you know coming to the end and tidying up the loose ends and so on, well, I think I beg to differ, and I, I think that what we're going to see is that Paul continues. Uh, there are travel plans, there are prayer requests, there is a list of names, as we're going to find out later. But these things are all part of the great inspired epistle that is teaching us how to live out the gospel. And I want, as we read down this passage from verse 8 to the end, I want you to look out, please, for a, a common uniting thread that runs through all these incidents and passages we're going to deal with this afternoon. And it is this. It is the coming together of Jew and Gentile. And what we're going to discover is that in the various things Paul mentions in chapter 15, he is really talking about the principles that we've just been hearing about and the teaching we've been enjoying over the last couple of days, how it all works in practice. He's going to give us some case studies of how this can be worked out. And so our subject, the title for our subject this afternoon is Christian Cooperation. Because I fully agree with what our brother said about Jew and Gentile. It's more than that in chapter 14. But in this passage we're going to look at, Paul is looking at the great division of the ancient world. The great division of humanity which was between Jew and Gentile. And there's only one thing, there's only one thing that can bring the Jew and the Gentile together and to get them to cooperate in serving God. And that is the gospel. And so, as we read this passage, look out, please, as we go down the different passages for Jew and Gentile. So let's read from verse 8. Now I say that Jesus Christ became a minister of the circumcision for the truth of God, to confirm the promises made unto the fathers, and that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written... For this cause I will confess to thee among the Gentiles, and sing unto thy name. And again he says, Rejoice, ye Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, 
all ye Gentiles, and laud him, all ye people. And again, Isaiah saith, There shall be a root of Jesse, and he that shall rise to reign over the Gentiles, in him shall the Gentiles trust. Now, the God of hope fill you with all joy, that's what he's been talking about, joy and peace in believing, that ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. That's the first section. And I myself also am persuaded of you, my brethren, that ye also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. Nevertheless, brethren, I have written the more boldly unto you in some sort as putting you in mind because of the grace that is given to me of God that I should be the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles ministering the gospel of God that the offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable being sanctified by the Holy Spirit I have therefore whereof I may glory through Christ Jesus in those things which pertain to God for I will not dare to speak of any of the things which Christ has not brought by me to make the Gentiles obedient by word and deed, through mighty signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and round about unto Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Yea, so have I strived to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build upon another man's foundation, but as it is written, to whom he was not spoken of, they shall see, and they that have not heard shall understand. That's the second section. Verse 22. For this cause, for which cause also, I be much hindered from coming to you. But now, having no more place in these parts, and having a great desire these many years to come unto you, whensoever I take my journey into Spain, I will come to you. For I trust to see you in my journey, and to be brought on my way thitherward by you, if First I be somewhat filled with your company. But now I go unto Jerusalem to minister unto the saints. For it has pleased them of Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor saints which are at Jerusalem. It has pleased them verily, and their debtors they are. For if the Gentiles have been made partakers of the spiritual things, their duty is also to minister unto them in carnal things. When therefore I perform this and have sealed to them this fruit, I will come by you into Spain, and I am sure that when I come unto you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. That's the third section. Now the last section. Now I beseech you, brethren, for the love of the Lord Jesus Christ's sake, for the, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake, and for the love of the Spirit, that ye strive together with me in your prayers to God for me, for me, that I may be delivered from them that do not believe in Judea, and that my service which I have for Jerusalem may be accepted by the saints, that I may come unto you with joy by the will of God, and may with you be refreshed. Now, the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Amen. A lengthy reading. But what I want to focus on, uh, brothers and sisters, this afternoon, is there are four different ministries 
in this passage. Four different ministries. First of all, we have the ministry of Christ from verse 8 to 13. And then we have the ministry of Paul from verse 14 to 21. Then we have the ministry of the Gentiles from verse 22 to 29. And finally, in the last section, we have the ministry of the Roman Christians. And I want to just go through this and, and, and point out that in every section we have this thought of the Jew and Gentile coming together, being brought together, and not only being brought together, but working harmoniously together in cooperation in the service of God. Now, we've already been hearing about this today, and we have been exploring this over the past two days, that the gospel is the only message in the world that can bring together from every race, from every background, from every culture, from every age, people and give them a unifying, uniting purpose and bring them into cooperation in serving God. Now you don't get in the letter to the Romans, you don't really get the truth of the body of Christ, which we have in Ephesians. But nevertheless, what Paul is saying is this, that one of the great results of the gospel is that people of varying types and backgrounds and cultures are all brought together and they're able to cooperate in serving God. Dear brother, dear sister, we've been hearing about difficulties that can arise over non-essential things in assembly fellowship. If the Jew and the Gentile can be brought together to cooperate in first century Christianity, surely we can be brought together to cooperate in serving the Lord. We're going to think first of all then of the ministry of Christ. This is very precious, brothers and sisters. This is a very precious truth. Look at verse 8. He says, I say that Jesus Christ became or has become a minister of the circumcision. That's a minister to the Jews. For the truth of God. To confirm the promises made unto the fathers. And that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. Now what Paul is saying is this. That our blessed Lord, when he came. He said on one occasion, I've not come but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. His ministry when he was here on earth was primarily to the Jew. That's what Paul is saying here. He has become a minister of the circumcision to confirm the truth of God or the truthfulness of God. But Paul is going to show that not only is the Lord Jesus a minister to the Jew, but he is a minister to the Gentile. And so this great division of humanity, they're going to discover that the Lord Jesus has not only come in service to the Jew, but he has come in service to the Gentile as well. And you'll notice that the Lord Jesus in serving in this way, he confirms the promises of God and he is a minister for the truthfulness of God. Now, that's very interesting. And so for the Jew, the Lord Jesus came to validate and to confirm the absolute trustworthiness of God. And so you find that in the letters of the Hebrews. You remember, whoever wrote it, it may have been Paul, who knows? But whoever wrote to the Hebrews, one of the great themes he has is that God has been absolutely truthful and trustworthy 
In fact, he speaks in chapter 7, isn't it? He speaks about the fact it's impossible for God to lie. This is the ministry to the Jew. And it's all about the promises of God, that God has fulfilled his promises to the Jew. That's the ministry of Christ. And so you'll find when the Lord Jesus is born, there's this waiting Jewish remnant. We read about it in Luke's Gospel. And they're glorifying God and they're praising God that he's remembered his promises, that he's been faithful to his promises. The great message in the coming of Christ for the Jew was that God has been absolutely truthful and trustworthy and he fulfills his promises and he can be trusted. But then for the Gentiles, we had no promises, we had no covenant. And so Paul says, the ministry of Christ to the Gentile is for the truthfulness of God. The min- if to the Jew is for the truthfulness of God. The ministry of Christ to the Gentile is about the mercy of God. And so you go to the letter to the Ephesians where Paul is writing to Gentile believers. And he talks about a God who is rich in mercy. One of the great themes of the gospel by Luke is the theme of mercy. It runs through Luke's Gospel. And you'll know that Luke's Gospel and uh, the book of the Acts, of course, these are the only letters that are written, the only books in our Bibles written by non-Jews, by Gentile, by a Gentile. Luke was a Gentile. And he's writing about the mercy of God. And so Paul is saying, I didn't mean to spend all this time on this passage, but there we are. Paul is saying that the Lord Jesus, in his wonderful ministry coming to this earth, he has confirmed the truth of God to the Jew, and he's opened the floodgates of mercy to the Gentile. And the point is this, not only is there a ministry for the Jew and a ministry for the Gentile, but Paul is going to quote now from the Old Testament, we're just going to run through these four quotations from the Old Testament, in which... He's going to tell us that it was always God's uh, intention to bless the Gentiles. And it was his intention to bless the Gentiles through the Jewish nation. So we've got the Jew and the Gentile being brought together in the purposes of God and the ministry of Christ. Just look at them very briefly. For this cause I will confess to thee among the Gentiles and sing unto thy name. It's all about joy, you see. And rejoice ye Gentiles with his people. Praise the Lord, all ye Gentiles, and laud him all all ye people. And again, Isaiah says, there shall be a root of Jesse, that's the Jewish root, and he shall rise to reign over the Gentiles. In him shall the Gentiles trust. Now, Paul is just laying this foundation here. And he's saying, you may be a Jew. Well, Christ had a ministry for you. But remember this, that the ministry of Christ to the Jew always had the Gentile in mind. And if you're a Gentile and you can't look back to the promises of God and you can't look back to the covenant and the fathers, it means nothing to you, but you can rejoice in the mercy of God. And so he comes to the end, verse 13, he says, Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing that ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. And what he's saying is this, that whether you're a Jew, whether you're a Gentile, God has brought you together in a common glorious hope in which you can rejoice. And he says, may the God of hope, wonderful title, fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. Brothers and sisters, we Gentiles were no hopers. That's what, that's what the letter to the Ephesians tells us. We were without hope, without God in the world. But thank God, the God of hope 
brings us into this, this wonderful hope and this peace and joy in believing. And Paul says, whether you're a Jew or whether you're a Gentile, you have been the object of the gracious ministry of Christ. That's the foundation for it all. But now he's going to go on and see how it works in practice. Because that's all very well in theory, to say that we've been brought together in a common hope and we've been the objects of the ministry of Christ uh, in different ways, but for the same object. That's all very well in theory, but how does it work out in practice? Well, Paul says, I'll give you an example. And the example is my ministry. Verse 14. He begins to talk now about his personal ministry. Just notice, please, that in this opening verse or two, I myself also am persuaded of you, brethren, that ye also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. Paul never patronized his audience. He never patronized the people to whom he was writing. He acknowledges that the Roman Christians, he never met them, remember that, he never met these believers. But he acknowledges that they have been gifted by God, that they have abilities by God, that they are full of goodness. He, he doesn't take his audience for granted. Something that preachers should always remember. That the audience very often know an awful lot more than you give them credit for. And he never patronized the Lord's people. And he's really, uh, he, he's written to them very directly. He's spoken about things we've just heard that are very, very difficult to practice. Required lots of wisdom and grace. And, and he's, he's worried in a slight sense, I think, here, that perhaps the, the, the thought may arise... And the hearts of these Romans, who, who does he think he is? We've never even met this man. And so Paul is saying, listen, I know that you're full of wisdom. I know that you're able to edify yourselves and build each other up. But he's, he's going on to say, I have a special ministry towards you. Listen to what he says, verse 15. Nevertheless, brethren, I've written the more boldly unto you in some sort as putting you in mind because of the grace that is given to me of God. Now, here is Paul talking about his ministry. Let's think about this for a minute. It is a wonderful ministry, a unique ministry to the Apostle Paul. He says that I should be, verse 16, the public minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable, being sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Isn't it wonderful, brothers and sisters, that God chose the greatest Jewish scholar of his day. The Pharisee of the Pharisee, the Hebrew of the Hebrews, the man that was steeped in Jewish theology. Now, I would have sent him probably to the Jews, but God sent him to the Gentiles. And, and the Apostle Paul, because you see, I think even Paul embodied Paul embodied in himself the truth he's trying to convey here. That, that here is a Jew who could not be more Jewish. Who has a background that most Jews would give the their right arm to have. Who, who had a knowledge of the scriptures, sat at the feet of Gamaliel. This man is the preeminent Jewish scholar and teacher, I believe, of the day. God says, I have a mission for you, Paul, and it's not to go to the Jews, it's to go to the Gentiles. If, if anyone embodied their message, it was Paul. And Paul says, I have a special ministry. I look at it just in three ways, very simply. First of all, it was a, a priestly ministry. 
He says, as we've read in verse 16, that I should be the, the public minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, sacredly ministering, or ministering as a priest, the gospel of God, that the offering up of the Gentiles... You say, wait a minute, Paul, that sounds a bit like the Old Testament. That sounds like the tabernacle of the temple. Of course it does. That's what Paul is saying. He's really saying that... Yes, I'm, I'm steeped in, in, in Jewish teaching. I know all about the tabernacle. I know all about the temple. I know all about the priesthood. But, but what I'm involved with now is on a par. In fact, it's greater in a sense. But it, it's, it is as sacred in its context. It is as priestly as all the Old Testament ritual and worship. And what he's saying is that I am a Jew. And here I am. I'm moving into the presence of God as a priest. Because the Jewish nation had the privilege of priesthood. And he says, but I'm finding when I come in, what I'm offering to God is a sacrifice. Uh, well, it's not really the gospel. It's the Gentiles. He's offering up the Gentiles as an offering that's acceptable to God. You might say, well, I'm a bit confused with all the imagery here. Well, so am I. But the point is this, that Paul is saying, the Jew and the Gentile are intertwined now. They're intertwined. He's not quite saying they're in the body. That's Ephesian truth. We've got to get Ephesians for that. But, he, but he's, he's combining in his ministry this idea of, of, of the worship of the, of the Old Testament priesthood with the fact that now his mission is to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. And he's saying, I'm acting as a priest. Now, brothers and sisters, we believe in the priesthood of all believers. And we believe that it applies to the breaking of bread and to all our gatherings. And we believe it means that there is no one man that stands between us and God. We believe that one expression of that is that any brother led by the Holy Spirit is able to stand up and to participate publicly in worship or in prayer. But let us not, uh, I'm not sure if everyone agrees with this, but <laughs> this is what I feel anyway, let us not limit uh, this to our gatherings together. Uh, we're priests all the time. And, and Paul says that when I preach the gospel, when I preach the gospel, when, I, when I'm in the marketplace and I'm preaching the gospel of Christ, when I'm on Mars Hill in Athens and I'm preaching the gospel of Christ, he says, I see my role as a priestly role. I'll tell you this, it elevates all our service. When you're going out, uh, I'm showing my age now, do, do people still distribute gospel tracts? I hope they do. Uh, when you're going out with your gospel tracts, you're, you're acting in a priestly way. Did you know that? Because what you're doing is going to result, we trust, in the goodness of God and worship and praise being brought to God. You're acting in a priestly way. And so Paul says, my ministry is preachly. Secondly, just very quickly, his ministry was preaching. And it was effective preaching. He talks about how it was making the Gentiles obedient. He talks about the signs and wonders that authenticated his preaching. And he says, it was widespread. Did you catch the reference, uh, please, the geographical reference here from... Jerusalem and round about unto Illyricum now I'll guarantee this if you turn to the back you don't need to do this just now if you turn to the back of your Bible you've got these maps always a source of fascination when I was a child in conferences at least you could look at the maps if you couldn't understand the teaching and uh, if you look at the map down on the bottom right hand corner you'll find Jerusalem up in the top left hand corner you'll find Illyricum Albania and this was basically the extent. Well, Paul talks about Spain here. You see, you see, Paul has got in mind the the widespread effective preaching of the gospel. And he says, 
from Jerusalem. Now you might take you might take uh, uh, take Paul to task here and say, well, you didn't start in Jerusalem. You weren't commended from Jerusalem. You went from one of the other assemblies. You didn't come. But Paul is talking about how that the the, the the gospel started in Jerusalem. And from Jerusalem to the very extent of the Gentile world almost. Right across the Mediterranean, right through Asia Minor, right across. And Paul is looking across to Rome and he's looking beyond that to Spain. There seems to be no limits to this man's ambition. He's talking about the widespread preaching of the gospel. And you see, it begins at Jerusalem and it affects Illyricum. Brothers and sisters, isn't it wonderful? The Lord Jesus, as he stands in Acts chapter 1, and he says that they were to begin at Jerusalem, preaching the gospel, and then the ripples move out and across, and Paul is saying that's exactly what's happening here. The Jew and the Gentile in my ministry are being brought together, and it was a pioneering ministry. So it was priestly. It was a preaching ministry. It was a pioneering ministry. He says, I don't want to build on another man's foundation. My ambition is to take Christ, the gospel of Christ, to where Christ is not known, where his name has never been heard. Now, of course, Paul is not saying that that's everyone's mission. He talks about laying the foundation and others building thereon. He talks about planting and others watering. He recognizes that others have their own ministry. But Paul says, my ministry, why is that? Paul is saying, wherever there are Gentiles that have never heard the gospel, that's where I want to be. That's where I want to go. And he closes this section by reaching back into the Old Testament and to, to, to validate and to confirm this pioneering mission that he has. He goes right back to Isaiah 53. Now you might say, well hold on, my margin says Isaiah 52. Well of course we know the chapter divisions are a bit, are a bit wrong there. We, we, we think they're wrong anyway. And we think that these verses should really be part of chapter 53. And you know what chapter 53 is all about? It's the confession of a repentant nation recognizing that Jesus is the Christ and he was wounded for our transgressions. But right at the beginning of that glorious passage, God is saying, I have the Gentiles in mind. To whom he was not spoken of, they shall see, and them that have not heard shall understand. I love church history. I don't love, uh, well there's a lot of things not to love about it, but I love reading about it. And uh, it's wonderful to think how the gospel is spread, isn't it? But brothers and sisters, never forget this, it started in Jerusalem. I love to think of this, that it started outside Jerusalem. It started with a man on a cross. And it started with an empty tomb. And there's a band of frightened men gathered together in Jerusalem. And the Holy Spirit comes down and the world has never been the same. And right across the world it sweeps. And we were just thinking today, isn't it wonderful in the providence of God? We think that we're good at communication today and social media and all the rest of it. Brothers and sisters, God in his providence ordained that at the very time that the gospel needs to spread, that there will be an empire that covers most of the known world at the time that, that is fantastic at building roads. And, and the, the gospel is steaming along the Roman way. It's running along the Roman roads. And you'll find, as we're going to hear later on, that there are people and they pop up all over the place. There's Priscilla and Aquila. You, you read of them in different places. Three or four different places you read of these people. They're moving on. People, 
Movement of people has never been a new thing. It's not a new thing. And God used it for the spreading of the gospel. We're going to hear about that, I'm sure, later on. And so Paul is saying, as I try to hurry up here, <laughs> get along the Roman road myself, uh, Paul, Paul is saying that uh, my mission is to bring the gospel, is to spread the gospel. And in this great mission, although I'm a Jew, I'm a dyed-in-the-wool Jew, and uh, I'm a Hebrew of the Hebrews, I am the apostle to the Gentiles. Isn't it wonderful? Don't, don't you rejoice in these things, brothers and sisters? I do. I rejoice in it. And I trace my spiritual lineage back to Jerusalem. And Paul says in verse 22, he's going to talk now about the ministry of the Gentiles. For which cause also I've been much hindered from coming to you. So the commentators who talk about travel plans are quite right. There is a bit of travel plan in here. But now, having no more place in these parts and having a great desire these many years, he's really saying that my ministry has taken up so much of my time that I would love to come to Rome, but that's why I haven't been able to come yet. But he says, verse 24, whenever I take my journey into Spain, I'll come to you. And I, we never know if you got to Spain. Uh, but it's good to have a plan. And uh, I will come to you for I trust to see you in my journey and to be brought on my way thitherward by you if at first I may be somewhat filled with your company I like that Paul's not saying I'll drop in and see you and take a couple of meetings on my way through he says I'm hoping that when I see you on the way to Spain I'll be brought on my way forward by you and I'll be filled with your company Paul is saying it's like some sort of staging post that, that uh, I'm not going to link it to uh, uh, electric battery chargers or anything like that but, but you've got to get Paul is saying I want to get to you so that you will charge me up with, with spiritual energy and I'll, I'll take something from from you that will enable me to launch on to Spain. That's what Paul is saying. When the Lord's servants, when, the, when, when those who are serving the Lord in full time come, remember this, that it's not just coming for a fleeting visit and saying goodbye, we enjoyed your ministry. Hopefully, I, I hope that we're launching them on further. We're encouraging them to go further. We're helping them in the ministry practically and prayerfully as well. And when I read this passage, as I just leave this section just now, as I read this passage I'm more and more convinced that we need to pray more and more that the Lord will guide those who are in full time service in their movements you read Paul's letters, how, how much of it he talks about his movements his plans, he's, he's trying to do this he hopes to do that, you see there's a great need everywhere and we're aware of the need everywhere and nowadays in our modern society you can almost get anywhere. Well, of course, I need to qualify that on the day of the RMT national strike. But, but communications these days mean that if you want to go to America, you can go to America. If you want to go to Canada, if you want to go to India, brother's been talking about India. If you want to go to the other side, you can do that. I often think that those who are in full-time service, they must be pulled in every different direction. How can you possibly discern where you should be at any given time? You could be anywhere preaching the gospel. You could be anywhere ministering the word of God. I think as believers, we need to be praying more that those in full-time service are guided by God in their movements. And Paul is saying, I want you to be aware of my movements. But now, verse 25. I go to Jerusalem. Here we are. <laughs> we'll go back to Jerusalem. Why are you going to Jerusalem, Paul? Oh, I've got a very special ministry. Uh, to minister unto the saints. For it has pleased them of Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution. This is lovely. For the poor saints which are at Jerusalem. 
Paul is saying, uh, and, and he talks, sorry, if I could just go further on, it's pleased them verily in their debtors they are, for if the Gentiles have been made partaker of the spiritual things, their duty is also to minister unto them in carnal things. And so he's saying that these Gentiles, the believers from Macedonia and Achaia, they're ministering now, and what are they doing? And here it is, brothers and sisters, if the gospel has been flowing out from Jerusalem, there's something flowing back from the Gentiles to Jerusalem. And that is this, that the Jerusalem believers are in poverty and the Gentiles know about it. And such is the cooperation and the harm. This would never have happened uh, without the gospel of Christ. It would never have happened. And here are the Macedonian believers. And they're hearing about the poverty of the believers in Jerusalem and Judea. And they are, it's a voluntary thing, but Paul says it's more than that too. They recognize they have a duty to meet the needs of these dear believers. And they're sending back through the apostle. There's something flowing back from the Gentile to the Jew. I think that's wonderful. It's been pointed out. Why was it so that the Judean believers, the Jerusalem believers, seem to be impoverished? And somebody may say, well, doesn't it speak about a famine in the book of the Acts? Doesn't it speak about um, this, this famine? Yes, but if you read about the famine, you'll find it didn't just cover Jerusalem. It covered the whole area, it covered the whole known world at that time. What, what made them so susceptible to poverty? What meant that these believers, what was it that meant that these believers were in extreme poverty? And the suggestion is this, that you remember in Acts chapter 2, they gave away their capital. They gave away their savings. Now, now that was a one-off, I think. It was never repeated. But it has been suggested that for the furtherance of the work of God, for the blessing in the gospel, the Jerusalem saints had given away all their money. And I, I like to think of it like this, that God allowed them in the fullness of their heart to do that because the gospel needed an impetus. It needed a support. It needed a boost right at the beginning. And it got it. These dear believers gave everything they had. And now when times are hard, they have nothing to fall back on. There's no bank balance now. They've given it all away. And so Paul says, there's this wonderful cooperation. Now what these believers have given now is flowing back to them from the Gentiles. And there's a higher, there's a higher reason as well. Paul says, the, the spiritual blessings that have come out of Jerusalem have so benefited the Gentiles. It's only right that we should be ministering back to them in material things. That's a very, very important principle. Brothers and sisters, I want to say this. That if you are responsible in the local assembly for handling the finances and deciding where gifts are to be given. Just remember this, that you have a, a heavy responsibility, but a great privilege as well. Don't think, dear brother, dear sister, that somehow distributing the, uh, the gifts that are given by your local assembly is some kind of just minor accounting financial, excuse me, the financial people here, uh, you know, a financial matter that isn't spiritual. Brothers and sisters, in supporting those in need 
in sending whatever you're sending to Ukraine, in, in meeting the needs of believers in poverty, in supporting the work of God, you are demonstrating the effectiveness of the ministry of Christ. That Jew and Gentile, the people you've never met, the nationalities you know nothing about, you'll never be there perhaps. And yet, by the grace of God, you have a ministry. And so they're sending back to Jerusalem. And he says, verse 28, when I've performed this, and I've sealed to them this fruit. I like that. Sealed to them this fruit. That's a nice expression, isn't it? He doesn't say, when I passed on the check and got it banked. <laughs> That's literally, I suppose, what happened. But he's saying, when I've sealed to them this fruit, and he looked on this gift that was going back to the, to the Jews in Jerusalem, he looked on this gift as fruit. The fruit of the gospel, the fruit of their sacrifice, the fruit that would perhaps confirm to the doubting Jews who were left in Jerusalem that this true gospel that was going out by the Apostle Paul was effective when they had in their hands the largesse that was given to them by the Gentile converts. They could no longer doubt that the gospel of God was effective for the Jew and for the Gentile. What a wonderful confirmation it is. And so Paul says, when I have sealed to them this fruit, I will come by you into Spain, and I'm sure that when I come to you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. I puzzled over this verse a few times because I thought, well, how does, how does Paul know that? You know, we, we go and maybe a brother goes and has meetings and he preaches the gospel and so on, and there doesn't seem to be much response. And How is it that Paul... Brothers and sisters, I believe this, that whenever the gospel is preached, there is the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. I believe that God is honoured, and I believe that whatever the results immediately may be, I believe that wherever, wherever you have a gospel campaign, wherever you're reaching out, wherever people are coming among you to bring the gospel, I believe that they can all say like Paul, I know when I come among you, I'll come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ and so Paul has talked about the ministry of Christ he's talked about his own ministry he's talked about the ministry of the Gentiles and finally we're going to come on to the last, last section and think about the ministry of the Roman Christians because Paul says verse 30 now I beseech you brethren for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake and for the love of the spirit that you strive together with me in your prayers to God for me I was thinking just how this would sound in heaven. I, I, here, here, is the, here is a Jew, one of the greatest Jewish scholars and, uh, and with the greatest knowledge alive at the time. And here he is praying. And he's praying as prayers are ascending up to heaven. And they're mingled with the prayers of Gentiles far away in Rome. Gentiles he's never met. He's never met them. And these prayers of the apostle to the Gentiles who is a Jew and these Gentile believers he's never met, they're mingling together at the throne of God and the subject and the object of the prayers are the Jewish believers in Jerusalem. I think this is an evidence. I think these prayers would be received in glory with great joy. I believe that. I believe that it's the evidence that when you're praying for people and uh, you've no connection with them and you're, you're diametrically opposed to them as far as your background is concerned and, and your culture and all the rest of it. But the gospel brings people together and there's this cooperation. And Paul says, I want you to strive together with me in your prayers. 
we were just talking in the in the house about this the whole mystery of prayer uh, just earlier today and Paul is saying strive together with me this this whole expression as you probably know it comes from the games it comes from the the, the Olympic games and it's the idea of a team effort. It's the striving together. It's not a. It's not a solo sport. It's not a one. Uh, it's a, it's a team. Uh, and, and and Paul is saying that this is a team effort. This is a team effort. And I want you to strive. I want you to be earnest. I want you to be to be specific in your prayers. And I want you to strive together with me and your prayers to God for me. Can I say this reverently, brothers and sisters? You're part of a wonderful team. A wonderful team. I may be talking to somebody today and you're saying, well, it's lovely to see all these young people. Isn't it wonderful? It is absolutely wonderful. But you're saying, my days of service are over. I can hardly get out to the meeting. If I get out to the meeting, I'm doing well. You know, I can't manage these days. And, and uh, don't look for me to be giving out tracts. And uh, don't look for me to be the open airs or anything like that. I can't do that anymore. And you might think, well, I, I'm finished now. I'm, it's over and out. Dear brother, dear sister, you are a key member of this team. Because you can do something that all the other people running around trying to keep up with all the activities of the local assembly can't do. You can labor, you can labor, you can strive together in prayer. And I'll tell you this, we've been hearing about the judgment seat of Christ, I believe. We just were at the burial recently of a dear brother up on the coast, you know exactly who I'm speaking about, who for many years... And lost his sight and, and was unable even to be out at the, the gatherings of the Lord's people. And he gave himself to prayer. To prayer. To prayer. It makes me ashamed. And to think that one day that brother and many others like him. Who are striving together. And sitting in their homes and not able to get out to the meetings. But striving together in prayer. It's all going to be acknowledged one day. It's all going to come out one day. At the judgment seat of Christ. Paul says, I want you to pray for three things, just as I sit down. He says, pray first of all, verse 31, that I may be delivered from them that do not believe in Judea. Judea was a, a dangerous territory for Paul to go into. Secondly, that my service, which I have for the Jerusalem saints, may be accepted of the saints. You know, brothers and sisters... It's one thing, I'm just reflecting on this over the last couple of days, it's one thing to be in a conference and, and to receive ministry that you think is helpful and good and so on, but the true measure of this conference is not so much what's said on the platform, it's how it's received in the seats. It's how it's received. Paul recognizes that it can be a big gift, it can be a good gift, it can be delivered well, it can be handed over with the best intention. If it's not received in the proper spirit, it will do no good. Can I just say this? You can admire ministry. You can say that was a good message. That was a good sermon. But if it's not received in the proper spirit, James says, let's receive the word with meekness. The engrafted word that's able to save our souls. He says, I want you to pray that I'll be preserved from those who don't believe. I want you to pray that the service will be accepted by the saints. He was well aware of the sensitivities that our brother's just been highlighting so ably. And he says... My final request, that I may come to you with joy by the will of God, and may with you be refreshed. I think one out of three was probably answered in the way that Paul thought it would be. And that was that the gift would be received. 
I, I, I think probably that was the only one of the three requests, I might be wrong, you might disagree with me, I think that was the only one of the three requests that was answered in the way that Paul expected it to be answered. Because, in a certain sense, he wasn't delivered from those who don't believe in Judea. You remember what happened when he came to Jerusalem, uh, eventually he was imprisoned and he was taken. Now he was delivered from them in that they didn't take his life. And so Paul's prayer was answered in that way. And then when you come to this idea, he wants to go to Rome and he says, I want to come uh, unto you with joy by the will of God and may with you be refreshed. He's looking forward to a time that he's coming joyfully in the great triumphant progress of the gospel and he's looking forward to a time of refreshment, maybe physical refreshment, spiritual refreshment. He's looking forward to really enjoying a time. You can imagine the Roman saints welcoming him and him feeling right at home with them. He never expected he would, he would arrive in chains. Never inspected, yes, he'll get to Rome all right, but it won't be triumphantly entering, as it were. Uh, but you'll remember when he did get to Rome that the brethren came to him. I like that. And so, what I want to say about this, brothers and sisters, is that there's a ministry that brings together in this passage Jew and Gentile, that brings us all together despite our backgrounds and differences, and that ministry is the ministry of prayer. We're striving together, we're praying. Let us give ourselves more to that. But remember this, that God perhaps very seldom answers prayer in the way that you expect it. Scripture is littered with examples of people who prayed for one thing and got another. Prayed for one thing, prayed that uh, something would happen, and it didn't happen, but something similar happened. Something, something unexpected happened. Brothers and sisters, I think, you know, we, we talk about unanswered prayer. I'm not sure if we should talk about unanswered prayer. Uh, I just wonder if at the end of the day, in the final analysis, we'll see that all the prayers were answered all right. Just part of the bigger picture. Part, part of the picture we don't understand. Part of the picture we don't see at the moment. We would like to see the prayers answered the way we want them to be answered. God is saying, make your request to me and trust me to answer according to my perfect knowledge and my perfect timing. I think it's a lesson we can take from that. Now, verse 33. Now, the God of peace. This is almost the conclusion, but our brother's going to continue because it's not the conclusion. But Paul concludes this passage by saying, now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. He is the God of hope. That is, he has implanted in both Jew and Gentile a common hope, a common expectation, a common certainty of future glory. He is the God of peace. He's the only God that through the gospel can bring the Gentile and the Jew together in peaceful cooperation. We've been hearing about this today. Paul is just giving some case studies of how it works out in practice. May we be able, as we go into this new year, as our brother's been uh, reminding us today, to work together harmoniously in a cooperative, sensitive spirit for the glory of God.